0: Well a very good morning everyone, it's real, a real blessing and a real privilege to be here to open God's word with you this morning and I do bring warm Christian greetings in the name of the Lord from all the folks down at Benhar Evangelical Church. If you do have a Bible with you can I encourage you please to turn with me in God's word to Psalm number one, the first Psalm in the Psalter, Psalm number one. And the plan is today to work through verses 1 to 3 this morning, and we'll look through verses 4 to 6 this evening. So you have to come twice, definitely today, to hear the whole passage. So Psalm 1, verse 1, and we'll read through the whole uh, Psalm together, but focusing in on verses 1 to 3. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Psalm 1, verse 1, and the word of the Lord says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Amen. Amen. And we do ask the Lord's blessing on the public reading of his word. Well, let's just pray together as we come to the exposition of God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you this morning that we can gather around your precious truth. Lord, these words we've just been reading, these words that we come to think about just now, they're not just any old words, they're your words, the words of the living God. Oh Lord, we thank you that we have our Bibles open in front of us. We pray just now, Lord, you'll speak to us, that you'll refresh our hearts with the truth of your word. Lord, please remove any distractions we may be facing, any trials, tribulations that are in the back of our minds from our busy weeks. Shut us in now, Lord, with yourself and help us to learn from you that we may leave this place rejoicing, praising and glorifying you, knowing that it was good to be in the house of the Lord. It was good to be in your presence. It was good to meet with each other, but it was even more good to praise you and to glorify you. Lord, we thank you now for your word. Speak to us, Father. Help us, encourage us, but challenge and convict us as well. We ask these things all in the precious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for his sake we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I don't know about you dear friends, but I think it's pretty apparent that we live in a day and age that it, that is obsessed with being satisfied. We live in a time where, here in the UK, everyone appears to be uh, satisfied, or seems to be striving for satisfaction, striving to be as happy, as stable, and as secure as possible. It becomes a, a fascination for so many people. That's what we're aiming for in life: complete satisfaction. And perhaps, as believers here in Aberdeen this morning, the idea of of uh, seeking after satisfaction, seeking after supreme happiness, we could call it. It's something that we shy away from. seems very worldly. seems very ungodly to be achieving satisfaction. We may even consider it to be sinful. But friends, this is far from the case. For we as believers, as people trusting in the living God this morning, are in fact called to live our lives in complete satisfaction. We are called to live our lives in such a way that we can describe ourselves as being supremely happy. And this is what Sam 1 lays out for us this morning. The steps that we are to follow to achieve maximum satisfaction in life. Now, as I said, at first, this may sound a bit strange. And it does, to be honest. It may sound a bit self-centered. It may even sound a bit sinful. But it's not. Because the steps that Sam 1 lay out before us here, friends, do lead us to complete satisfaction in life. But giving all the glory to God at the same time. And that is what makes the fundamental difference. This is what should separate our lives from the lives of those who are using all those other ideas and fads and trends to try and achieve satisfaction and happiness in life. They do it for themselves, make themselves feel better. We are to do it for God and for his glory. What I hope we'll see this morning in these opening three verses of Psalm 1 is that we're given the steps that enable us to be completely satisfied in life whilst giving God all the glory, praise in all that we do. So the rest of the time we have this morning, we'll work our way through these opening three verses in an expository manner and discover what the Lord says for us. And I want to draw particular attention to these actions that we must and must not do in order to live a God-glorifying, satisfied life So we'll look at this subject this morning, under heading, Finding Satisfaction in God's Word. That's our title this morning. If you'd like a title for a sermon, that's it. Finding Satisfaction in God's Word. The psalmist opens there in verse 1 with the words, Blessed is the man. It may not appear to be an overly monumental statement to begin this psalm with, indeed, the whole book of the Psalms, but it clearly lays out before us the intention of the words that are to follow. You see, the Hebrew word used there for blessed, esher, translates literally as satisfied or supremely happy. It's a word that emphasises that you lack nothing, that nothing more is required for you to be satisfied in life. And quite naturally, if we're in this state, friends, we are supremely happy. What else can we be if we have everything we can possibly want? We are satisfied completely. As I said, this... Opening expression illustrates the intention of the psalm. It's very much a blueprint for godly satisfaction. We wish to see that even more clearly. We could translate that opening phrase as this. And we translate it literally as this. Satisfied or supremely happy is the man who does the following. That's the essence of that first phrase there of verse 1. So let's look then at these steps that the psalmist calls us to follow this morning. If we want to be satisfied in life whilst glorifying God. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me, please. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. In these opening verses, the psalmist prevent, presents us here with three things we must not do, two things we must do, and the practical results of finding godly satisfaction. We'll look at these under three headings. Our first point this morning what we must avoid to achieve satisfaction, what we must avoid. To achieve satisfaction. That's our first heading. As I said the psalmist here presents us with three actions that we must avoid. If we want to live a God glorifying satisfied life. And the first there we find at the beginning of verse 1. Blessed, satisfied or supremely happy. Is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, when the psalmist refers to the council here, friends, he's not talking about the city council or a county council, or people who live after are bins and public toilets, or at least that's what they're supposed to be doing. No, he's talking here, dear friends, about a source of advice, a source of guidance in life. Quite simply, if we want to live a God-glorifying, satisfied life this morning, then we must not take or indeed seek advice from the ungodly. The ungodly, of course, being those people who refuse to acknowledge the Lord. People who are literally anti-God. People who are opposed to God. Anything to do with him and his church. Straight away, the psalmist lays a direct challenge before his friends, does he not? Where do we go for advice? Where do we seek guidance in life? When we face hardships, when we face difficult decisions, when we face persecutions, whatever it may be, where do we go for help? Our answer should be right in front of us, friends. Our answer is God's words. The revealed truth of the living God that we have in front of us this morning should always be our first port of call. We can't glorify God if we get our advice from someone who's opposed to him, after all. We can't glorify God and truly worship him by getting advice from someone who refuses to acknowledge him, from someone who refuses to acknowledge their own sin. Friends, true happiness Real satisfaction this morning. God's blessing only comes when we cry out to him. When we turn to God. When we cry out to him for his strength. His wisdom. His mercy. His grace. In those trying and difficult situations. You know sometimes we have to remind ourselves who we are really worshipping this morning. We worship the God of Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Friends, God and his revealed word is our counsel this morning. He is the source of our advice, the source of our guidance in life. Let's turn to him. Let's cling to the Lord, dear friends, for he is with us. He is for us. And he knows exactly what we need each and every time. Why would he go anywhere else? but to a loving, living God like that. That's the psalmist's opening point in a nutshell. If you want to be satisfied in life this morning, friends, then run to God. Turn to God. Run to the one who knows what's best for you. Seek advice in his words. It's there for us to glean from. It's there for us to learn from. And it's there for us to seek refuge in. When we're in distress, seek counsel from God the one who loves you, the one who has saved you by his grace. Run to God, cling to him. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The second action then that the psalmist tells us that we must avoid if we want to live a God-glorifying, satisfied life is that we must not continue to live in our former sinful ways. Look there at verse 1 again with me please nor stands in the path of sinners. Again, we're given a clear instruction. Do not stand in the path of sinners. If we look at that word stand there in the Hebrew, we can see it translates as to confirm or to remain. Likewise, Hebrew also adds emphasis there to the word path. It means the manner of or the lifestyle of. Quite simply, the psalmist here is calling us not to remain in the lifestyle of a sinner. Not to continue to live as those who do not accept the Lord as our saviour and redeemer. The next step to true happiness, to complete satisfaction in life this morning, dear friends, is not to live as a sinner, but rather it is to live for Christ. To live to honour and praise the Lord in all that we do. To give him glory daily for his amazing grace in our lives. Not to pretend that it never happened. Not to just carry on living as we once did. Trying to cover it up and living as the world wants us to. No friends, this morning if we're trusting in Christ, we are to live for him. We are to live on the path of godliness. The challenge once again is fundamentally clear. Do we live differently because we are saved? Can our family, can our friends, can our neighbours see a Christ honouring distinction in our lives? Or do we just live like they do? It's a real challenge friends. Do we stand in the way of sinners? Do we continue to stand in the way of sinners? Or do we stand, do we live in the way of godliness? Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Friends, this morning we need to be living a transformed life. A life changed by the grace of God. We put away those old things. We put away our old life when it's sins. We stand and we live for Christ. And for his glory. Why do we live for him? Because we've been bought by him, friends. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, you belong to him. He paid for you by his own blood. That's why we live for him. We belong to him. We cling to him. It's for living a life of praise to the Lord that blessing comes. It's by living a life that honours Christ in all that we do that the Lord honours us in response. And we will be supremely happy. We will be satisfied knowing that we're praising the Lord. Let's not be continuing in our old sinful ways, but instead let's live for God, live for Christ, live for his glory. How do we do this? By living according to God's instructions. Living according to God's word. But we'll come back to that in our second point. Blessed, satisfied or supremely happy. Is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the way of sinners. Moving on then. The psalmist provides us here with the third action. We must avoid in order to be satisfied. And it's this. We must not be associated with the scornful. We see that there at the end of verse 1. Nor sits in the seat Of the scornful now the word scornful there simply means those who treat god with contempt those who feel that god is beneath them that he's not worth paying attention to that he's worthless perhaps even pointless we have a further example of figurative language there as well friends to sit in the seat of the scornful literally means to be or to live in the dwelling place or the way of the scornful the silence is clear again If we want to live a God-glorifying, happy life this morning, we cannot live in the same way as those who disregard the Lord. Putting it simply, we cannot be like those who believe God is worthless. We cannot live our lives in the same way as those who think God is pointless. So there is to be a distinction in our lives, a difference in the way we live compared to our unsaved family members, our unbelieving work colleagues. Unlike the scornful who think less of God, we are to think and make much of God. And our daily lives are full of ways in which we can do that. So many practical ways we can live in a distinctive way. Not laughing at a joke that takes the Lord's name in vain. Doesn't sound like an overly big distinction, but yet it is. And one that glorifies God. If you go to the barber's tomorrow morning, or if you meet up with a friend for coffee and they ask you, what did you get up to at the weekend? Do we make much of God by telling them what we did on the Lord's Day? We went to church. We learned such and such. We discuss such and such over fellowship. Or perhaps when we're asked that question, we automatically talk about Saturday. Football match we went to, the takeaway we had, the movie we watched. So many different things we can answer that question to. It's not an overly monumental distinction, perhaps, but it is. And it's one that glorifies the Lord. Do we prioritize Christ even in the response to our questions? We can put him first and glorify him. Galatians 1 verse 10 really does offer us a challenge, a challenge this morning when it comes to separating our lives from those who treat God with contempt. It says this, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not. Be a servant of Christ. If you're a believer this morning, dear friends, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour today, are you living for him? Are you living as a servant of Christ? Are you living distinct from the way of the scornful, distinct from the way of the world? If you are friends, then rejoice. If you are living for Christ, dear friends, then rejoice for the Lord honours those who honour him. It's through living our lives for God that blessing comes. It's by making sure that everything we do honours God. That we can be sure that we are not sitting in the seat of the scornful. Blessed, satisfied or supremely happy. Is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Three actions we must avoid if we wish to be satisfied and supremely happy in life. Don't go to the world for guidance or advice. Seek it here in God's word. Don't continue to live sin as you once did, but rather live a transformed life. Finally, live a life distinct from those who put God beneath you. Friends, this morning we've got so many reasons to put God first, so many reasons to honour God, so many reasons for us to rejoice in Christ this morning so much for god to be honored through let's praise him let's put him first let's live for him and praise him in all that we do well having seen then these three actions that we must avoid let's look then the two actions that we must do in order to be satisfied in life We look at these under our second heading this morning what we must do to achieve satisfaction what we must do To achieve satisfaction. Look with me there at verse 2 please. Psalm 1 verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist here has a change of tone. Unlike the three actions that we must avoid listed above there in verse 1. Verse 2 consists of two critical actions that we must practice daily firstly we must rejoice in God's revealed word it says there his delight is in the law of the Lord now approaching our text this morning within the context of the western liberal democracy that we live in today or so-called anyway the idea of delighting in laws and orders is perhaps perplexing (laughs) it's perhaps ironic We're told that we're not so many times these days to let nothing hold us back. That we can live as we like. we can have freedom to do what we want. For many people growing up in 21st century Scotland, the idea of rejoicing in laws and orders is perplexing. It's confusing. But friends, we need to step back for a moment and realise whose laws we are told to delight in. Whose laws we are told to rejoice in. The psalmist calls us to rejoice in the laws of the Lord. We are to rejoice in the instructions of the living God. The one who made us. The one who has created us. The one who knows us best. And perhaps most importantly of all, the one who knows what's best for us. So what then is this law? What is the law of the Lord? What are these instructions that we're called to delight in, to rejoice in? Well, the law of the Lord... These instructions, these precepts are simply what the Lord has commanded us to live our lives by. They are the means by which the Lord has told us to conduct ourselves. Quite simply, it is the Word of God. God's law is the Bible, it is his revealed Word. It's as simple as that. The law of the Lord is the truth that we have in front of us this morning. And of course we have clear-cut and explicit instructions within God's word. When you think of the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes, examples of how we have to live our lives. These are the laws set out for us to follow in order to truly live for God. In order to truly glorify him in all that we do. They are instructions for life prescribed by the Lord for our good and his glory. Psalm 119 verse 11 explains to us why the Lord has so graciously given us his word and his law. It says this, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Dear friends, we're given the law this morning, God's word this morning, that we might grow in godliness. Grow in our sanctification and live to serve the Lord better every day. Therefore we can delight in God's word. We can rejoice in the law of the Lord this morning because it enables us to live as God wants us to. It causes us to glorify God more and more. It increases our love for him. It causes us to focus less on ourselves, and more on God and the grace that he has shown to us. It draws us closer to him. But God's word, of course, has an immense practical impact on our lives, does it not? It causes us to be better witnesses Better evangelists, better parents, better husbands, better wives, better children and so on. And so many different practical levels. The word of the Lord is there to help us, to encourage us, to guide us, to build us up and also challenge us when we drift away from it. Dear friends, what else can we do but to delight in it? As I've already mentioned, we have God's word, yes, primarily for his glory, but also for our goods. Obeying God's word helps us to flourish in our Christian lives. It helps us to increase in our Christlikeness. It helps us to grow in godliness and to develop in our sanctification. John 17, verse 17 Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. But of course, as believers this morning, we have a further reason to delight in God's word. We have a further reason to delight in the law of the Lord this morning. Because when we fail to keep the law, when we fail to live according to God's expectations, when we, fail to make, when we fail to live as God expects us, when we make mistakes, when we slip up in our lives, when we give in to sin, when we give in to temptation, as we all do, don't try and cover it up, friends, we all sin, our salvation is still secure if you're trusting in Christ. We aren't secure. Uh, we aren't excluded from glory. We aren't excluded from eternal life. Yes, that would have been the case in the Old Testament days. That's why they had to make sacrifices to atone for their sins on a regular basis. If the law was broken without a sacrifice in its place, then the covenant of works put you out of eternity. But if you're trusting in Christ this morning, dear friends, if Christ is your saviour this morning, if you've repented of your sins, if you're truly trusting in him, even if you fail to keep the law perfectly, as we all have, if you slip from God's word, then your home and glory is still secure. Why is this? Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything we can possibly ever do, but because the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to fulfill the law perfectly on our behalf. Jesus Christ has fulfilled what God expects of us, for us. Matthew 5, 17, the Lord Jesus himself says, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Friends, the law has been fulfilled on our behalf by the final and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, we must always remember that we are to follow God's word every single day. Don't just throw out everything we've looked at so far this morning because Jesus has atoned for your sins. That's not how it works, friends. Many people, like many pastors out there, will teach you that we live in a time of grace that we can live what we, we live how we like. It's not how it works. We're to submit ourselves to God's word and to live for Him. But what it does mean, friends, is that when we feel to live up to God's standards as we do every single second of our lives, when we feel. We're still justified by Jesus' blood. When we make mistakes. When we slip. We can remember, praise God, that Jesus has paid it all for us. That he, the son of the living God, satisfied the law completely on our behalf. Jesus Christ did what God expects of us, for us, in our place, for our sins. The price for our sin, dear friends, has been paid in full. He has paid the price for our failures. He has paid the price for our slips, for our mistakes. When we slip from God's instructions, when we momentarily slide back into sin, we can be assured this morning, we can be encouraged this morning that Christ has paid it all. But even more than that, that the Lord sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to die for his people, knowing that you will continue to sin against him. He died for you, knowing all the sins you have made, knowing all the sins you will continue to make. But that's God's grace. That's God's amazing love for his people, that he would save us whilst we were yet sinners, as Romans says. So we can additionally delight in the law of the Lord this morning, friends, for it shines a spotlight on God's grace, does it not? That's what the law highlights for us. It shows us just how much we have failed, how much we continue to fail, But yet how much Jesus has succeeded on our behalf. That's how we delight in the law. That's how we delight in God's word. It reminds us just how much Jesus has done for us on the cross. How he satisfied the law completely. He paid the price for our failure completely. What amazing grace, friends. What an amazing God we have this morning. That he would send his son to die for us. The London... 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith has a helpful summary for us concerning what our relationship with the law now is after Christ having covered it, satisfied it for us. It says this, as a rule of life informing the believer of the will of God and their duty, the law directs and binds them to walk accordingly together with a clear sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. Let me repeat that last bit. The law reminds us of a clearer sight of the need we have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience. How do we delight in the law of the Lord? We rejoice for it reminds us so clearly of God's saving grace in our lives, of the place Christ took for us and our need to respond by living to serve and glorify him in all that we do, for we belong to him. (laughs) For we were bought, dear friends, by a very precious price. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The law reminds us what we've been saved from. But more importantly, who we've been saved by. And what it took to satisfy the law. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfection, his obedience, friends, is what has saved us. His perfection is what gives us access to glory and eternal life. None of our works, nothing we could possibly ever do, It's all to do with the Lord, all to do with Christ. That's what the law points out to us. Every single time we read God's word, it reminds us of the cross. It reminds us of what Christ has done for us. What else can we do but to delight in it, friends? And to seek always to live by it for God's glory. Now coming back to our main point then, how does this make us satisfied? How does this make us supremely happy in life? Well, the word of the Lord, the word of God tells us, it proclaims to us so clearly that if we have Christ in our lives, dear friends, if Christ, if we know Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf as people trusting in him, what else can we be but satisfied? What else can we be but supremely happy this morning? If we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour, if we have the atoning blood of Christ covering us this morning, then we are satisfied in life and that is a fact For if we have Jesus in our lives, nothing else matters, friends. Compared to having experienced the grace of God, everything else is worthless. The hymn writer puts it like this. All I once held dear and built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted lost. Spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Dear friends, what a perfect summary of finding satisfaction, of finding true happiness in Christ. Everything else is worthless compared to knowing him. There's no better thing to be this morning, dear friends, than to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's where we find true satisfaction and happiness in life. Supreme happiness can only be obtained by trusting in Christ and his finished work on the cross. So I pray you're doing that this morning. I pray that each and every one of us in this room is clinging to Christ. And if not, come and trust in him, friends. Come to Christ. Beg for forgiveness. Call upon him. And he will save you this morning. (coughs) The law of the Lord, dear friends, is there for our good. It's there for God's glory. So let's live by it. Let's glorify God through our obedience to it and let's delight in it for it reminds us of God's grace in our lives. Blessed, satisfied or supremely happy is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. But then there's of course this second action that we must practice daily if you want to be satisfied in life. And Much more briefly I promise you. Look there again at verse 2. And in his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist concludes verse 2 here by issuing us with an emphatic practical instruction to meditate on God's word day and night. And it's helpful that the word meditate is used there. Notice we're not told to simply look at God's word or to read God's word. No, we're called to meditate upon it. The Hebrew word used there for meditate means to ponder. It means to consider the implications of. It's a word that implies a degree of study, a degree of thinking. It's not something that's merely read, brushed over, and forgotten. So the psalmist calls us here, friends, to study. To ponder. To think upon the law of the Lord. To spend time soaking up God's words. When we read our Bibles, we are to spend time not just looking at the text. Not just looking at nice stories as we might do with a novel or a newspaper. And then putting it away on a shelf afterwards. No, friends. We are to read it. To study it. To think upon it, to reflect how it affects us in our lives, in our situation. Think of those well known words of James 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Friends, we're not merely to look at God's word this morning, we're to reflect upon it, we're to respond to it. There is to be a great practical response to its teaching. And so when we spend time in God's word, let's make sure that it is exactly that. Time spent in God's Word, not just another tick box for the day. But, friends, there's another practical feature there in that text. The psalmist says, And in his law he meditates day and night. We're not only called to spend time thinking upon God's Word once a year, once a month, once a week, no, we're called to do it regularly. Delighting in the law of the Lord is not something that we should be reducing to a one-off occasion, perhaps on the Lord's Day or on a Wednesday evening. No, friends. It is to be a daily occurrence. If we want to be satisfied this morning, if we truly have a desire to be supremely happy in life this morning, then we need to be rejoicing in God's word every single day of our lives. As I said a few moments ago, the law of the Lord reminds us of God's grace in our lives. It reminds us of our need our reliance upon the precious blood of Jesus to satisfy us, to satisfy the law, sorry, on our behalf, why would we not want to be reminded of that every single day? Why would we ever wish to reduce the reading of God's precious truth, that reminds us of God's grace, to once a month, once a week, once a year? Some people only go to church at Christmas time or Easter time. Friends, we need to be reading God's word every single day. Now, let me be clear that Samus is not mandating that we read God's word all day. And if we took the word day and night there, literally, that's what we'd have to do. It's not an overly practical proposition. But what this figurative language does stress to us, and this is a mandate from God, I believe, is that we must spend time in God's word every single day. Whether that be reading your Bible in the morning, setting you up right for the day. Whether that be reading your Bible in the evening, praying to God, thanking him for his help during the day. Or at lunchtime, you can thank him for the morning and the afternoon to come. Or whether you do it all day, it's up to you, dear friends. But the fact is, the question is, are you doing it? Are you reading God's word? Are you meditating upon God's precious truth every day? Let's make sure that we're doing it, friends. Let's make sure that we open our Bibles. That after this morning's service, our Bible is not just put on a shelf and left there until next Sunday. No, friends, let's read God's word. For when we read it, when we study it, when we spend time in the law of the Lord, we are reminded continually that we have everything because we have Christ. We are forgiven of our sins if we're trusting in Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. We have a future. We have a hope this morning. What more do we need to be satisfied in life, to be supremely happy in life? than to have the precious truth of the living God open in front of us. It's there for us, dear friends, to learn from, to rejoice in, to praise God through, to live for God as he expects through. Let's read it, study it, and live by it. Blessed, satisfied, or supremely happy is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Well, as we draw our time to close this morning, I want to very briefly consider these practical implications, the practical results of a man or woman or young person who delights in God's words. Well, close under our third heading, final point this morning, the results of godly satisfaction. The results of godly satisfaction. We find that there down in verse three. Look down at verse three with me, please. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Having explained to us the actions that we must avoid and the actions we must practice regularly to achieve God-glorifying satisfaction in life, the psalmist draws the first half of the psalm to a close here in verse 3 by encouraging us with the practical results of someone who delights in God's word. The psalmist begins there by comparing the Christian, that is someone who is trusting in Christ, someone who is satisfied, fully leaning upon God's word, to a tree. Now at first glance, that appears to be a rather strange picture to paint. Why out of all the possible images does the psalmist use here uh, the tree to compare the Christian to? Well, as a picture of the practical results of trusting in God, dear friend it produces stability in our life. That's what it all boils down to. see, all trees have roots. These roots don't just provide the tree a, a means to take nourishment from the soil. They also provide security, strength, stability. No matter how wide that tree trunk might be, no matter how tall it may stretch into the heavens, those features are pointless unless it first has strong, firm roots in the ground. Otherwise, it'll simply fall over under its own weight, let alone any storm or wind that might come but so it is with the Christian this morning so it is with the believer so it is with us this morning friends if we're delighting in God's word, if we are finding satisfaction and real happiness through God's revealed truth then we have strong roots we have stability we have security in our life we're often told that we're not that we live in a so-called post-truth society a time where truth is fluid A time where uh, even basic human biology is changeable, morality is flexible, ethics uh, can move every single day. It can be a discouraging time for the believer. But not if we root our lives in God's word, friends. Not if we live our lives with true satisfaction in God's precious truth. You see, these words in front of us are truth. These words that God has so graciously given to us are the definition of morality, they are ethics defined. They are love, help, hope, encouragement, strength, and stability. You see, when we live our lives by God's words, rooting our life in the truth of the Bible, rooting our life in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have stability in an ever-changing world. And why do we have this? Because we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know what truth is. We know what lies are. We know what it means to be a man. We know what it means to be a woman. We know what it means to be a parent. We know what it means to be a child. We know what it means to be a good co-worker. And so on. Dear friends, we know what it means to be part of Christ's unshakable kingdom. What an encouragement that should be. We know how to live our lives. God has told us. Such a merciful thing, friends. That God has given us instructions to live our lives by. We have stability. We have strength. We have security. Nothing can move us. Nothing can shake us when we live for Christ by God's revealed word. It's there for us to strengthen us, to encourage us, to live truly for Christ, to live truly for God and his glory. But a tree, of course, does not just have firm roots. A tree also grows. No tree ever really stays a sapling for the entirety of its life. It grows, it flourishes, it increases in strength, it builds up. So it is with the believer, friends. Grounding our lives in God's word, finding satisfaction in the Bible this morning, causes us to grow. It causes us to grow in our faith, to grow in our sanctification, to grow in our godliness, and so on. From the day we are saved until the day we are called home by the Lord, we are on a journey of growth, each and every one of us here is trusting in Christ. And on that day when our faith is turned to sight, when we stand in God's presence and glory, we aren't the same person we were on the day we were saved. We've learned so much. Learn so much of God's mercy, so much of God's grace. Learn so much of God's love and God's patience with us. Now, there's so, so much more for us to learn, but hey, we've got the whole of eternity for that, so don't be worrying, dear friends. But the basic fact is, when we grind our lives in God's words, when we find our satisfaction and happiness in the Bible, we will grow. That's inevitable. When we live our lives by God's word, we can't do anything else but grow. Because we learn more about him. We learn how to serve him more. We learn how to love him more. Because we learn how much he has loved us first. So we have stability. We have growth. But we also have fruit. Look down there please. At the middle of verse 3 with me please. Uh, middle of verse 3. That brings forth its fruit. In its season. Living our lives according to the truth. Of God's word. Also enables us to produce fruits and when the psalmist here refers to fruits he's referring to what we now call the fruits of the spirit we find that in galatians 5 22 to 23 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance and so on these are the practical characteristics of a man or woman or young person who delights in the law of the lord these are the results of someone who is trusting in christ someone who has of their life in the bible as i mentioned earlier when we are saved, we are transformed by the grace of God. We put away our old things. We now have the capacity, with the, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to produce the fruits of the Spirit, to live as God truly expects us. But notice there, friends, we not only produce fruit, the psalmist also tells us we'll produce it in its season, at the appropriate time, at the opportune moment. Exactly when it is needed, we all produce this fruit. So living according to God's word, building our lives upon the precious truth of the Lord, enables us to be kind when we need to be, to be loving when we need to be, to be patient when we need to be. To, and what, what is perhaps the most radical change in our lives? We can be forgiving when we need to be. Friends, these things aren't truly really possible until we're saved. Until we find satisfaction in and live our lives by God's word. And so we produce the fruits of good works, the fruits of the Spirit, at exactly the right time. So we have stability. We have growth. We produce fruits. And very lastly, we prosper. Look at the end, the last line there, verse 3. Uh, verse 3, the very end. And whatever he does shall prosper. Now let me be clear, the psalmist is not legitimising the so-called prosperity gospel here. We're not being told that if we root our lives in God's word, we will somehow now get rich and healthy and good-looking, better-looking, we should say that way, to keep it, keep it safe. God's word never suggests any of those things at any point, dear friends. But what the psalmist is emphasising here is soul prosperity. Our souls will grow, our faith will increase, our love for the Lord will grow and flourish and explode with rejoicing in God. <coughs> And why does all this happen? Why do we grow in this way? Why do our souls increase? Why does our longing for God increase? Because when trials come, when heartaches come, when temptations and trials come, we cling to God more than we ever have done before. We throw our all upon him. We praise God for his mercy. We praise God for his grace. We knew God is with us. We knew God is for us. And during those times, our souls, our faith, our trust in the Lord will do nothing but grow and increase and prosper and flourish. Dear friends, before us here in verse 3, we have four practical results, four blessings we receive when we trust in the Lord, when we find satisfaction in God's precious truth, when we live our lives rooted in that word. We have stability, security and strength in an ever-changing world. We grow in our faith, in our love for the Lord, in our sanctification, in our godliness, we produce the fruit of good works at exactly the right time. And in whatever we do, our souls will prosper, our faith is strengthened, and above all, God is glorified. Nothing else can happen, dear friends. If we're trusting in Christ, ever trusting in Christ, building our lives in God's Word, He will be glorified because He will be at the center of everything that takes place. So, as we come to a close this morning, If you're here this morning, if you're looking for satisfaction in your life, if you're craving answers today, if you're looking for happiness, don't try all the fads and trends that people go on about in social media. Don't resort to so-called daily affirmations or meditations, whatever these things people go on about. Don't buy into the idea that all you need to do is to believe in yourself, which doesn't really make sense anyway. Friend, if you're looking for happiness this morning, come and find Christ. Come and trust in the God of the Bible we've been looking at this morning. Instead, find real satisfaction, true happiness in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, don't leave this place without knowing that the only source of true happiness in life is knowing Christ and that he was crucified for you. You see, friends, unlike daily affirmations which change, as the name suggests, daily, (laughs) unlike fads and trends that will change on TikTok next week or Instagram next week, whatever happens, God's word remains constant. The law of the Lord we have in front of us remains unchanging because we have a Lord, we have a God, we worship a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, we can cling to him. Because of that, we can trust in him. Because of that, we can live for him, knowing that he is with us, he is for us, and he will bring us home to glory if we trust in him. Oh, friend, Come and repent of your sins and trust in Christ if you're not doing so already. Accept Christ as your Saviour and he will change your life. He'll change it completely. And you'll be truly satisfied knowing that Christ has paid it all for you. That's what the first half of Psalm 1 is all about. God's unchanging precious words. Let's trust in it, dear friends. Let's praise God for it. And let's live our lives by it. Amen. Amen.